Rodriguez and Thompson, perhaps, are the most remarkable to watch, playing radically different characters from Jane Villanueva on Jane the Virgin and Valkyrie in Thor Ragnarok, respectively. Rodriguez especially gets to display a sharpness that's intentionally not present in her work on the CW dramedy. Just as that show proved her winning charm, her work in Annihilation suggests a vast range that other filmmakers need to tap into. The women of Annihilation are a large part of why the film works. Though much of the second half of the film is driven by some genuinely surprising and unique special effects creations, ranging from the disgusting to the gorgeous, it still relies on its extremely talented ensemble to make the fantastical feel real. Natalie Portman is the name above the movie's poster, and brings her requisite emotional intensity to the lead role, but she's equally matched by Rodriguez, Thompson, Lee, and Novotny. A few years after Ex Machina, which relied on the depiction of men subjugating women in a futuristic, technological fashion, writer-director Garland has adapted a story almost entirely about women fighting for the future of the planet, if not their own lives, and done so with aplomb precisely by not emphasizing the gender parity. End quote. Finally, Casey Cipriani, Bustle, 23rd February 2018, says, quote, Annihilation isn't just a notable film for featuring five female leads. It manages to star five women without making even the slightest deal about it. End quote. The thing is, the film's existence as a female-driven science fiction, rather heady adventure, makes it automatically a big deal. It shouldn't, but it does. Which in a strange way circles me back to Lena and the deer, by way of ancient myth. Book 3. Quote, Having reached the place, she gives her spear, quiver, and unstrung bow to one of the nymphs, her weapon-bearer. Another takes her robe over her arm, while two unfasten the sandals on her feet. Then, more skillful than the rest, Theban Crocoli gathers the hair strewn around her neck into a knot while her own is still loose. Nephili, Ayali, Ranus, Sekas, and Fial draw water and pour it over their mistress out of the deep jars. While Titania is bathing there, in her accustomed place, Cadmus's grandson, free of his share of the labor, strays with aimless steps through the strange wood and enters the sacred grove. So the fates would have it. As soon as he reaches the cave mouth dampened by the fountain, the naked nymphs, seeing a man's face, beat at their breasts and filling the whole wood with their sudden outcry, crowd round Diana to hide her with their bodies. But the goddess stood head and shoulders above all the others. Diana's face, seen there, while she herself was naked, was the color of clouds stained by the opposing shafts of sun, or aurora's brightness. However, though her band of nymphs gathered in confusion around her, she stood turning to one side and looking back, and wishing she had arrows to hand. She caught up a handful of the water that she did have, and threw it in the man's face. And as she sprinkled his hair with the vengeful drop, she added these words, harbingers of his coming ruin. Now you may tell, if you can tell that is of having seen me naked. Without more threats, she gave the horns of a mature stag to the head she had sprinkled, lengthening his neck, making his ear tips pointed, 
changing feet for hands, long legs for arms, and covering his body with a dappled hide. And then she added fear. Adonoe's brave son flies off, marveling at such swift speed within himself. But when he sees his head and horns reflected for certain in the water, he tries to say, Oh, look at me. But no voice follows. He groans. That is his voice. And tears run down his altered face. Only his mind remains unchanged. What can he do? Shall he return to his home at the royal palace, or lie hidden in the woods? Shame prevents the one, and fear the other. End quote. Acteon is then pursued by his own dogs and killed. Greek historian Diodorus Siculus suggests, in a variant of the story, that Actaeon was not punished simply for having seen the virgin goddess naked, but for his own hubris, and even an urge and possible demand to marry Diana. Leonard Barkin, English Literary Renaissance, Autumn 1980, relates Actaeon and Diana even more explicitly to one another in the story. Quote, Diana and Actaeon are both hunters, and they have both entered the grove to escape the hot sun. In seeing the goddess, Actaeon has a glimpse of the transfigured form of himself. When he looks directly at the unshielded brightness of this numinous version of himself, Actaeon shatters his identity and multiplies it. Part of the metamorphosis is the implicit equation between the two figures. This equation of Actaeon with the holy form of himself as hunter inexorably brings about the complementary equation of Actaeon with the beastly form of himself as hunter, the stag whom he has been hunting. Yet the most powerful change is neither on the sublime nor on the beastly level, but rather inside Actaeon's psyche. What Actaeon sees in the mirror after his transformation is for the first time a sense of his own identity. Meanwhile, Lena stares at two nearly identical deer in search of Shepard. As Actaeon faces his own dogs, unable to prove his own identity, we begin to see that the secret he witnessed when he saw Diana bathing is the secret of self-consciousness. Lena is not seeking a deer, but in this brace of deer she finds a representation, perhaps, of herself and Cain. Metamorphosis becomes a means of creating self-consciousness because it creates a tension between identity and form, and through this tension, the individual is compelled to look in the mirror. End quote. One deer is white, pure. The other is duller, gray, with splotches that become more obvious the more we see of it. In the Continuum Encyclopedia of Animal Symbolism in Art, Hope B. Werness explains, citing Christopher B. Donnan, how deer hunting parallels war. Lena, the only soldier in this team of women, seeing these deer, has lowered her rifle. She is not hunting. She is not at war. She seeks only a match to herself, whether in curing her husband, redeeming herself, or, as it will go later in the film, facing a copy of herself and having to fight for whatever she can get, whether it be redemption or simply survival. 
The deer's heads rise in sync. The camera moves slowly toward them. Reverse on Lena. Camera moves slowly toward her. She raises her head slightly. Blinks. Second six back to the deer. Closer now. We can see that only the first one seems to have flowering antlers. One part flora, one part fauna. Pink buds like a crown. The other deer is spotchy gray with spots that also seem pink like raw skin perhaps. Its antlers are the same shape as the other deer's, but black, plain. Its face also seems slightly wrong, its snout too short, its eyes too low. Still, it seems a specific echo of the white deer. A noise from the deer perhaps, or maybe from some other creature. Both deer in sync, tense, then turn and hurry away. The two deer take a few steps before hopping. The camera pans with them as they head to the left, disappearing behind a tree. In the script, there is just one deer, and seeing Lena, then, skittish, it's gone. Beat. Second 13 cut to Lena. The script says sweat runs down Lena's face. She blinks it out of her eyes. Silence return. In the film, she does not blink, but rather turns from looking in the direction the deer have gone, lost in thought. Second 16, cut to exterior, swamp slash clearing, day. Dense foliage. In it, we find Lena. The script says, crawling forwards on her belly. But she is hunched over, just stopped while walking toward a tree with many trunks rising up from the ground in multiple directions. The script says she's seen something up ahead. She removes her pack and sets it down. Then, rifle ready, she walks toward camera, stepping over a nearly horizontal tree trunk, then around a more vertical one. Camera tracks backward, away from Lena, as she gets closer. An animal sound draws her attention around behind her, but she keeps moving, and second 45 we cut. A thick tree trunk dominates the center of the frame. The background is dense foliage. The foreground is branches all around. Lena comes in from left of frame, beyond the tree, dwarfed by it. She passes in front of the tree, then angles directly toward camera, looking to its right. She slows. Second 58, reverse. A smaller tree dominates the left half of frame. Lena's shoulder is at right, blurry in the foreground. In the script it says reveal. The end of the blood trail in a clearing. In the middle of the clearing, sunlit, is Shepard, lying on her back, facing upwards, clothes soaked with blood. Lena watches. Waits. No sound except wind in trees. And time runs out for this minute. We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside. Annihilation.